Welcome to the Outpost Church podcast for Discipleship Training Week 2023. This year, our theme was All He Asks is Everything. Over the next few episodes, you'll be encouraged by a variety of speakers who actively lay down their lives to serve God and His kingdom. We hope that as you listen, you feel inspired to further understand what it means to follow Jesus and surrender all aspects of our lives to Him. We hope you enjoy. Okay, I'd like to, I just want to spend a couple of uh, moments just talking about the word and, and um, just do a little bit of preaching. So, um, if you've got your Bibles, open up to, we're going to jump around a bit, but uh, Acts 1 8. Um, and this sort of flows on to uh, a little bit of what Christian just said. <clears throat> so, Acts 1 8 says, uh, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We often talk about this to encourage people to go out and, and, to, and to do things and, and uh, Kirsty and I were sort of talking about this last night. Uh, we often think that that means to preach and I kind of wanted to just touch on this. This is saying that uh, when you receive, uh, like if, if you think of Peter's, uh, you know, the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, you think about his kind of transition between the end of the Gospel and the start of Acts. At the end of the Gospel, uh, Peter's a broken guy uh, he's denied Jesus, he had this desire to do great things, and he failed. And not only did he just fail once, then he failed again, then he failed again, and then Jesus does the feed my sheep thing, and he's like, yeah, you know that I love you, Lord, that kind of stuff. Roll on 50 days later after uh, at this point of Pentecost, Peter becomes a different person. He now preaches, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Now, what we often miss in that is that he actually preached, including the crowd were the people that he actually denied Jesus in front of. The powerful men of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. So he, he now, he's now bold. The guy that was, you know, had a desire to do the right thing and couldn't, is now doing the thing that he wanted to do before. Now, boldness comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And it... We think it's about preaching, about sharing the gospel, but it's about witnessing to what we have seen. So it says in, in Acts 1.8, if, if, uh, if I was a policeman and I come here and there'd been a crime in the car park, I would say, who saw the crime in the car park? Who saw, you know, Heidi's car get hit by whatever? Now, if, if most of us were in here and none of us were out there and we only three of us saw it, the policeman would then talk to the people that had actually witnessed the, witnessed the crime. Those that hadn't seen it would just say nothing. Most of the time we don't minister because we haven't seen the thing that we need to talk about. So we're meant to be, it's meant to be like a revelation from the inside that we're actually just sharing something that has happened or something that we know. It's not getting up on a street corner and putting a soapbox maybe in Randall Mall and, and sharing. That's, a, you know, that's an evangelistic role. Um, and so that comes down to a, a gifting but we're all called to witness. Just like the policeman would say, who has seen X? Who, who saw the crime? You know, some of us would be really great at telling our story. Others of us may fumble through the story. And some of us, you know, we might even be non-verbal. We might sign if, if I, you know, if I couldn't speak. But we would still be able to find a way to communicate that story. Um, and then, then the next interesting thing about this is that it says that we're the witnesses... Jerusalem, Judea, and to the end of the earth. 
So we're actually called to be a witness to our family, to our local environment, to our local community. And then the next community up and then to the ends of the earth. So it kind of goes up in concentric circles of witnessing. We don't just go straight to Africa or wherever it is that we feel that we're called, even though we might know that that's where we're called. We actually build up by firstly witnessing to the person sitting next to us, to our family, even to ourselves. Okay, but the, the verse starts off with, but you shall receive power. So a lot of Christians, we get kind of going to get caught up in this. We know that the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life when they give their heart to Jesus. Um, and then, you know, the Pentecostals talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the power coming upon them. And, uh, you know, we, we see it written in the Bible. Now, Pentecostals make too much of, of that at times. Uh, and other denominations don't make enough of it. We do need the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life. It's just that simple. That if you think about what you've, you've seen here with us praying for people and seeing someone healed, I can't do that. And quite often I used to try and counsel people into it. I used to go, oh, what's happened in your past? And you notice we haven't asked any question about what's happened. We just go straight to dealing with right, what's happening now. So I'd like to just spend a moment and I'd just like... You know, this is just a simple thing. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. That's all. We're not going to like say, fill us and do these three things. We're just going to say, God, fill us so that I know that I'm full. That's the thing. So that peace comes, so that I know that I've had an experience with God. And for many of us, it's just going to be, we're going to feel exactly the same as we do right now. Maybe a bit more peace. Some of us are going to have a dream or a vision or some of us are going to think of something tonight and we're going to know but we kind of need to mark this in the calendar because the word says that we shall receive the Holy Spirit. We need more of God in us. Okay, so let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you declare that uh, your people should, should be full of you. Uh, Father, Jesus said that we should wait for the Advocate to come. So Father, uh, today... Uh, those of us that, that we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us know that we need more of you in us. And those of us that actually know that we have a deficit and we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're actually asking you to fill us now. Father, we thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you that over the next sort of days and weeks, you're going to explain what that means, what you have just done in us. And you're going to draw us to the word and you're going to step this out. You know, and with help from our, from our pastors and with help from friends, this is going to become real and fleshed out and amazing. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lots of uh, Pentecostal churches do the whole thing where we pray for people, lay hands on them and, and you get it all happening in and there. I'm a little bit different. I like to get the person to ask God and kind of do it on their own a little bit, and then I kind of help, I kind of coach it. Because something that you've been able to receive yourself is something that you can continue receiving yourself. But if you have a kind of model that you think I've got to come out the front and get prayed for and get that to happen, then what we do is we fall back into, I've got a situation, I need to come forward for prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you break down on the side of the highway and get a flat tire, you actually need, and you don't have a spare, you need to call someone. But God's plan for us is that, not that we'd be self-sufficient because we always need people, but that 
we would have a confidence in what God can do through us. And it would be, we would be a community of people that stand together and believe. Okay, so I'm just going to leave that there. I'm just going to move on. And um, lots of us have been taught theology about uh, Jesus. Um, and we've been taught that God sends bad things on us to teach us something. Now, um, remember when I, when I first started, I said that uh, I go on the street at Port Augusta and I can pray for people for healing. It takes all of three seconds and they can't believe it. They hug you and then they walk off and they glow. When I go to do uh, stuff like this in churches, I have to work a lot harder. And I have, I have a thing where I get people to think of trees. And you, it, some people get really offended. I've had people walk out of meetings that I've run because I get the person at the front to think of trees. Now, we haven't had to do that yet in this, this group. But I know because the reason it took me so long to get this is because I had to unlearn some stuff that I'd been taught. And so all I'm trying to do when I get you to get your head to... If, so don't be offended if I ask you to think of trees. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get rid of the head for a minute. Uh, and so what happens is that I'll say, just focus on trees. Don't try and help in this prayer. That's what we're really saying. So go to a rainforest, go to a beach, go somewhere. Uh, and just because what happens is that our head is, every time we hear a prayer, we're like, I don't know if that's good. Is that God? What, what's happening there? And it's not that God wants to bypass our, um, you know, our decision-making process, but he's just got something good for us and we're like kind of getting wrapped up, wrapped up in it. But... Um, so one day, so I've held every position on healing that there is, okay? So uh, when I'm talking about this stuff, I know this because this is what I once believed and then I went to this and then I went to that. I have thrown out, I've bought healing books to throw them out, bought and those lot, throw them out. And I just decided at one stage, I'm not going to buy any books from them people unless I actually see them doing it. So that's kind of where I got to. So one of the things that really holds people back and... Funnily enough, it doesn't hold anyone back in the world. Generally, they don't kind of think this, but they think God has sent me this bad thing to teach me something. Now, God can teach us something from a bad thing. My uh, sister was killed in a car accident when I was eight and uh, we had a wedding and a funeral in the same church in three weeks and it was just, it was horrendous on us all. And people were saying, you know, God just needed your sister, you know, this kind of, kind of stuff and, you know, all that and uh, so I got my good news Bible out and I was praying and God spoke to me. He said, what Satan meant for evil, God would turn for good. And that a Joseph story. You know, when Joseph's talking to his brothers. And it just took me a long time to actually work that out. Now, you might be hearing you, you've been told that, that something negative, you know, that happened in your life was for your good. Now, God can teach you through that. But God's main way of teaching us is through his word. The Bible says that the... You know, the word defines right to the bone, cut, cut in between the marrow. So we can learn things by negative things, but God doesn't send cancers. God doesn't send, you know, the Bible says that he is good and that he's not a man that he can lie. Um, and so I kind of like to press that button and to say, look, there are things that we don't understand. Like I said, there are things, there are people that I'm praying for at the moment that I have been praying for and praying for and I have not seen what I know to be true. I know it's God's heart for them to be healed. I know it is. But I don't know how to get there and I don't know how to help them. But what I can do is I can keep in that place of believing and trusting 
that my heavenly Father does not change. Okay? So the way that I came to this conclusion was one day I was actually going to go on through the Bible and I read, um, let's see, so John 5.19 is a verse that we can use. So John 5.19, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does also in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And it goes on to say that, you know, and he will do greater works. So what we see here is Jesus saying that what I was doing in Galilee and Nazareth and Bethlehem was exactly what I saw my Father in heaven doing. So, uh, you know, if you've, if you've seen head of Sozo training and stuff from Bethel, they kind of really kind of pull this out and they'll say, a lot of people can think, Jesus loves me, but God the Father, well, I'm not sure about that. You know, and so Jesus is the manifest, the theological way of saying it is Jesus is the manifest expression of God the Father here on earth. So we know, we, people know Jesus loves them, but they, they wonder whether God the Father does. This tells us that he does. Now, I might, have been, I might have grew up in a church that told me that he didn't. I need to like look at that attitude and go, is that true? Can I see that in the Word? Now, Chuck Missley used to have this kind of saying, he used to preach on the radio a bit, uh, and he said, the Old Testament is, is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. So when we see something in the Old Testament we don't understand, we think, man, that just seemed harsh by God. We need to know that's part of God's character, but we need to say, God, help me to understand that in the light of the cross, because God's plan right back at Genesis was the cross still. It's just that, you know, we, gonna, we can lose that kind of picture of it. And I mean, I could, we could do the whole conference on that, but if you, if you kind of think those things and allow the kind of word to kind of speak to you through it, you will see the truth and it will like come alive in you. But I'm just kind of letting you know that's where I come from. Um, okay, so the bit that I want to kind of talk about this morning is about healing and sins being forgiven. Uh, this sort of comes up a lot. Uh, and I meet people that will go, they go start to pray for this person, they go, let's say that the person led an unscrupulous life before the moment that we prayed for them. And let's say the person knows that. So what will often come up in the prayer is a loaded kind of statements from the past. Now, when we go to pray for somebody, all of that stuff does not exist. If you have knowledge of that person when you go to pray for them, you need to turn that off. Okay, because right in this moment, this is Jesus meeting them at that place. You can think of the woman at the well. You can think of the woman caught in the act of adultery. You can think of all those things. How does Jesus respond? He deals with the situation. And if you think about the woman caught in the act of adultery, he says, go and sin no more. This was like a prophetic statement over here. It wasn't saying calling out her mistake. It was saying, you know, you are now free to go and sin no more. Okay? So if we turn to Mark chapter 2, verse 3, this is the story of the paralytic. If you've been watching The, the Chosen, uh, it's an amazing picture. I just, I wept through it. What? Yeah, so Mark 2, verse 3. You know, you think, about, you think about the situation where you've got some friends and, and who's got a paralytic friend and they are willing to pull the tiles off the roof of someone's house 
to get their friend in front of Jesus. So it starts in verse 3 and it says, And then they came to, to him, capital H for him, Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. As we read this, I want you to think, who had the faith? And when they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So they started pulling up the thatching and the tiles. They, I mean, essentially, they're destroying property to actually get this guy there. Um, and so when they'd broken through, so it took a time, they let down the bed in which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, so I don't know if you can picture this. So imagine that someone comes into the church today, carried by four of their best, best mates, and let's say the door is locked, and rather than actually asking permission, they kick it in. Okay, so all of a sudden we're now thinking, property damage, I've got to like ring the, you know, I've got to do the insurance and all that kind of stuff. And we, we possibly miss the intensity of their love for their friend. That's actually drive, they are desperate. Now you notice Jesus' words, he says, uh, so, so he is not sort of taken aback by uh, the property damage. Like, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even hear that, he doesn't even see that. But he says, when Jesus saw their faith, so Jesus sees faith where we might see property damage. He sees this sort of desire to, to bring their friend forward and to, to, to meet with Jesus. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. You know, so like I said yesterday, Jesus answers the question that he wished had been asked. So to the Jews, the Jews think this is impossible. So their priests, uh, their prophets had done healings. But nobody up to this point has ever declared someone's sins were forgiven. In fact, that is so, uh, it is barbaric to their minds because if someone declared that your sins were forgiven you, that person was declaring that they were God. So, like, it is a just... And then, so some of the scribes were sitting there and they started reasoning in their hearts. So this is internal thinking. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? How can, or who can forgive sins except for God alone? So they actually had a truth. That's true. I can't forgive sins. You can't forgive sins. The Pope can't forgive sins. No one in power can forgive sins. We can't. Nobody still except for God alone. That was a truth. But what they missed was the mechanism by which Jesus wanted to do it. So, but immediately, so Jesus perceived in his spirit, and, and they reasoned thus within themselves, and he said to them, why do you reason these things in your heart? So Jesus automatically knows that argument that's going on in their hearts, and he addresses it. So the Holy Spirit, so Jesus' heart kind of through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to allow you to see the thoughts of others so that you can speak to those thoughts. You know, the Bible says, we read earlier, that greater things, even than Jesus did, we shall do. And none of us feel worthy to do that, and that's a good thing. But this is the, what God has called us to do, is to be able to minister in this way. And so he goes on to say, which is easy to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or arise, take up your bed and walk. So the, remember, the Jews had seen people healed, but they'd never seen someone forgiven. And if you look at the, 
um, you know, the way that uh, um, sacrifices were offered, there's no sacrifice for willful sin. None. So if you deliberately do something, you are dead. And so in the Old Testament, we have to see sin a little different. In the Old Testament, sin is a cancer that can never be healed. And when it takes a hold to the level of willfulness, the only thing is to kill the person. So we see King David, we see see Saul, like God telling them to wipe out whole communities. So it's like if I had gangrene in my hand and I don't have a doctor present, we cut the limb off. Now that wasn't God's ultimate plan. But given how people saw it, that's how they operated. Because there wasn't, you know, the saviour hadn't come, all this stuff hadn't worked. But we do see this this symbolism in people like King David who seem to be able to look forward to the cross. You know, King David should have been killed by a number of things that he did, you know, according to the law. Um, So we see this, we see Jesus forgiving the person's sin and he actually says, which is easier to forgive the sin or to do the healing? That's really what he's saying. So forgive... So what he's doing is he's declaring and he's actually saying really, what he's saying is that there is a thing in the past that's caused this and I forgive it. And in forgiving it, the healing will come. So he's speaking ultimate truth to this person's body. And so also notice that he hasn't prayed like we would normally pray in church. Lord, if it be your will, please heal Frank who's come to church today. Uh, We're not really sure if you will, but we really hope that you do. My, my mum taught me to pray, and the way she taught me to pray was that it was hoping that God would. You know, and hope is the constant expectation for God, constant ex- expectation for God to do something, okay? But faith is calling that which we do not see as if it was. So, uh, you know, if we were to go back to, say, Jennifer that we prayed for yesterday, uh, if if we believe something, a, flick, a switch is flicked inside of us that I, I saw Jennifer healed before we prayed for her. You know, we think, whoa, that's amazing. But that's what God has for all of us. It's not like uh, this person is, you know, we're all in this, this is the way that God wants to operate. We have confidence that it will work. So uh, Jesus says to the paras- par- paralytic, he says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go home. Immediately he rose, took up his bed, and went out of the presence of them all, and they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, I kind of alluded to it before, what was Jesus' prayer in that? His prayer was a statement that actually spoke to the person to an action. We see, uh, we see um, you know, like at the temple, we see what I, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You know, we see these kind of statements defining the, the disciples as well. So what we have here is that um, we see the Holy Spirit released and then the person, as they go to get up, faith is released. So sometimes when we're actually working with somebody and we've spoken the Holy Spirit into them, I, I know that they're about to get healed. So I have that kind of sense, this is about to happen. And in picking them up out of their chair and getting them to stay on their feet is when it actually happens. But I don't tell them that. But by the same token, I don't ask them to do it if they're not ready for it. 
If someone says to me, if I say, oh, you know, can you stand to your feet? And they say, I'd rather not, I'm in too much pain. I don't, I don't push that at all. Because that's, you know, we, we don't ask somebody to step out into an area that they're not ready. God wouldn't do that. You know, Jesus would gently come alongside and he would walk with us till we found our feet. And that doesn't, remember, we're not relying on this person's faith. We're actually, we're the ones that are doing, you know, praying and standing with them. Okay, so, uh, so Jesus' prayer is a statement that actually speaks to them and invokes action. Now, I just want to, uh, just while we're on sin, um, okay, I want to just touch this. So, John 9, 1. There are a lot of verses that we could use to, dis- to display this, but if we stick with what Jesus said, then we can kind of, you know, we can see it really easily. So John 9, 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, when we hear blind from birth, the Jews believed that if someone had a sickness or was crippled, because the whole thing about sacrifice was it had to be an unblemished lamb that was sacrificed. So anything that was blemished displayed the curse. So if you were walking along the road and you see someone who had a physical deformity, you would spit on them and curse them. Because in doing so, you're actually agreeing that God is holy. Yeah, it was pretty tough. So, so you know, ostracised, woman with issue of blood. You know, when she's in the crowd, she is guilty of death for being there. Talk about boldness. So you've got a man who's born blind from birth. The whole community around him believes that it is his fault that he was born blind. We need to stand against that. We need to stand against telling somebody that something that they were born with or something that they inherited from their family is their fault. Sorry, I get a bit emotional about that because it is just a huge thing. Like if I, this is just, this is constant for Heidi and I. People who have been robbed of their identity because of the narrative which their family has told them or society has told them. You know, that they are less than what they they can be and that they are going to be defined by either a physical defect that occurred to them or by uh, you know, their parents or their race, or just just doesn't take much to, to clip our wings and keep us locked up. Um, so, back to the story. So, in, in uh, 2, it says, verse 2, so this is John chapter 9, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned that this, that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Notice the, the loading in the question. Who sinned? You know, and, and remember the disciples, they're kind of a bit competitive once amongst one another. They're trying to sort of prove their, their worth to Jesus. In verse 3, Jesus answered and says, neither. Now, they're not expecting that. So, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day and the night is coming, but no one will work. He's talking about, you know, going to the cross and there being kind of a gap for a while. So this is, this is super important. Jesus says, neither sinned. There are times when, when, as humans, we're just looking for a why. Why did I end up with this? Why is the wrong question? 
Who is the question? Who can help? And as Christians, our job is to stand in the gap and connect the hands of that person who was lost with Jesus. And so one of the, one of the things that pushes me on to, to learn more and to operate in more is because, you know, every time, say, you know, I think I said I've prayed for a heap of people in the last week or so and seen them all, I've seen pretty 100% of people here that we've prayed for. But the one that I miss is the one that I keep thinking about. Why didn't I get that? You know, I know it was God's will. Where was, where was the miss? And so that, those things keep me awake at night, and they should, because, you know, here we have, we talk about heaven on earth. You know, that's God's will. We, we talk in the, in the Lord's Prayer. It's our job as Christians to, to, to stand against the enemy and to tell people the good news, and to not just tell it, but to actually enforce the good news, to help them get to that place that they can receive what they need from God. Because then God is their source. And so we want to kind of blend into the background. You know, I hope that uh, when I pray with somebody, they can't even remember my name. They're like, I wish I could call that guy. What was his name? Because we, we actually, we don't want to be the center of their world. We want to introduce them to Jesus, get them on their feet, and then let that connection be the defining force in their life. So, I want to encourage you that when you're tempted to point out someone's fault, when you're praying with them and say, look, it must have been this sin. It was this lifestyle choice. And we're not saying that those lifestyle choices don't affect the person's life. They do. But there's counselling that we can do to, to work on our, uh, you know, our will and that kind of thing. But God does not judge them today on that. God wants to bring healing and wholeness wants to bring forgiveness from those past things, wants to kind of bring them up to kind of a place where none of that matters so that now we can re- rewire, repattern and start to work on their habits. Does that kind of make sense? It's, it's not me pointing those things out. It's like if, um, if my kid makes a mistake at home and, uh, you know, this is, this, is my, this is my bad parenting mistake. This was my mistake as a kid because I saw it with my dad. My kids would knock something off the table, tip it all over the ground, it would be a big mess. And I would go, why did you do that? And I'd be like, you need to clean that up. And like, you know, and then I, I would be, while they're trying to clean it up, I'm there trying to explain to them why they did this wrong. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of this and I'd go away and I'd feel like I didn't really help them. And God would say, do I do that to you? I'm like, No. But in, being a good parent, you know, I have to teach my kids. He's like, why teach them in that a moment when, like Heidi said, they've flipped their lid? They don't learn anything. Their brain's switched off. What they need is love and grace, and they need help to clean their mess. And then after the mess is clean and they're sitting down and they're, and they're calm, that's when I can actually teach. Because then they can learn it. Then they can hear it. So that kind of principle is how we do ministry. When someone's flipped their lid, we are there to minister. We are God's representative. And that's what we do. Can I do one more thing and then get you? Now, um, are there any questions about that? I know that I'm kind of like moving and I'm sort of throwing out theology and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to influence you. If you have a different kind of headset on it, that's 
Yeah, that, that's great. And, um, you know, God will lead you on that journey. I'm just kind of saying where I am and how I got here. One thing I'd like to just touch on is, I know this is, this is a big thing, but I'm just going to kind of touch on it. And if you want to talk to me about it afterwards, then that'd be great, is the demonic side of things. Some people think, you know, Satan doesn't exist. I can tell you, like, <laughs> I can tell you he does. A lot of what I do at Port Augusta is casting out demons. That is the big thing. So we think that it's, we've watched The Exorcist and, and it's nothing like that at all. Um, and when I was, so kind of a brief history about me is that my brother and I, when we grew up in our family home, we heard voices. I didn't know till afterwards that my brother did. You know, we saw demonic things happen. I used to hear footsteps up and down the passageway at night. I'd get up and there's nobody there. It sort of culminated as I got, when I got baptised in the Holy Spirit and I started to do things with God, it culminated one night when I woke up and I had sleep paralysis. And if you've ever had that, you know, there's now a whole thing about it, but it's, it's demonic. And what happens is that your body can't move and as you struggle against it, it feels like the sheet just gets pulled tighter and tighter and tighter until you don't have any air in your lungs. And you actually feel like you're going to die. You don't just feel like it. There is an intense fear around you. Uh, and you just think, this is my last moment. And when you go to call out, there is no air to call out. You can't do anything. So this has sort of gone on for, uh, I don't know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and I literally think this is it. My brother is next to me in bed. We we shared a room at the time. I can't even speak to him. And um, I let out this whisper with the little bit of air that I had, and I said, Jesus. And I noticed that the thing lifted a little bit. So I'm pretty sharp, so I kind of cause an effect there. I'm like, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of release. So I'm going to go a lot of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So funnily enough, my brother didn't wake up at all. So I'm like yelling Jesus, and all of a sudden it's all gone. I'm like, whoa, that was fantastic. But no idea what's just happened. So the next night, same kind of thing. I start selling, and so I'm awake. So you wake up and you hear now I'm hearing screams. So like I'm hearing those horror, horror movie screams to the point that I'm actually walking around the house trying to find who's screaming. I think I'm going nuts. But I put the two things together and I go, I think our pastor once talked about this. This is demonic. So I go, look, in the name of Jesus, you leave, you get out of here. And I make a kind of commitment in my heart that anytime I see this again, I'm going to speak Jesus to it. And it goes. And it doesn't return, doesn't come back. But when, sometimes when I, uh, and if, if anyone's had this kind of experience, you'll know what I mean when I, when I say it's the rushing. So I used to walk around, I've had people tell me about this, I used to walk around the farm at night and I would feel someone run up behind me like, like they're doing 80 kilometres an hour and they would stop just behind my head. And it didn't matter where I was and they would whisper to me, Things, just terrible things. You know, maybe they want to kill me, uh, you know, sexual things, all sorts of stuff. Now, there's a science says, so, you know, um, we can't stop birds landing in our hair, but we can certainly stop them making a nest. I know that's a bit odd. But those negative thoughts, I had to work out, they're not sin because they're not you. But if you take that thought, that seed, and actually do something with it, that's when it crosses over. So I was not possessed, but I was oppressed. So things were coming in my mind. And uh, what I want to tell you is, 
So that was, that was where I started. Uh, and so then I started to cast these things out and I'd have a fight. It would take me all day. Then I realised one day that Jesus didn't fight anyone. He just said and it left. So I realised I didn't have to hear them speak. I've heard them speak. I've, you know, had my clothes ripped off. I've all sorts of stuff have happened over the years. And I used to go around and pray for demons in houses, And, you know, even for people who didn't even believe God, they'd just get me to sort their house sort of for them. To the point that now what used to take me all day takes me 15 seconds at the absolute outside. The only difference is that now I know who I am in Christ. And I know that like let's say one gram of Holy Spirit, let's say if I could put it out that mustard seed of faith is enough to flee every demon in the whole of South Australia, Australia, the world. So the essentially when we actually go to pray, the reason I'm bringing up is because when we go to pray for people with healing, sometimes there is a demonic presence that's actually attached to it. Now, you do not even need to know that it is. The same process that we're actually going through, if you just don't even worry about knowing, you'll be able to cast it out. You'll be able to, like, that's why we speak to the sickness as if it is something. We speak to that and we tell it to leave because if it is, it will go at the same time. So I prayed with a guy on Sunday who had a, had the hip thing, I think I shared that earlier. I got a testimony from him from his wife last night, a video. She's like, she sent me this, and I, I didn't read the caption. She sent me a picture of her husband dragging the bin down their long driveway. And she says, oh, I'm so blessed, my husband's dragging a bin. And I'm like, oh, it's, I don't know how well that's going to fit. But, of course, it's because he couldn't walk two days ago. And he'd been in bed for, uh, you know, and he was thinking of surgery and all sorts of stuff. Now, what he had was he had a, a demonic presence of, of fear on his life. So his fear was when the pain come on, Satan attached like a demonic presence to it to say, you will always be like this. You're old, you've had your hip go, now your independence is going. So remember I said at the start, it's all about identity. Now that, now he, he could operate in church, he could preach, he could do all sorts of things. This this is different than that. This is sort of like they have, let's say that the Holy Spirit's presence is sort of filling me and stuff and I'm operating it. This is just an area of their life where Satan is able to push a button from a distance. So don't think when someone says this is demonic, oh my goodness, don't let that fear rise up. Satan can be pressing a button from a kilometre away. That's all he's doing. He's just reaching, press the button, goes back because he can't stand to be around someone who believes in God. So the reason I tell you those stories about my youth is because people are dealing with that stuff all the time. And they, they you know, like, like I said, uh, I'll go through stages where, you know, I might meet 20 or 30 people that are suffering from that a month. You know, so what we do is we, we medicate this. We go, well, Satan's not real. I don't believe in that. Those voices aren't real. So I'll just like do something to forget the voices. And so we end up drinking, we end up with addictions. So a lot of times when we, when we get someone who's addicted to something, like, you know, let's say there's been a long-term addiction, you can go back and there's, there's this demonic kind of thing at the bottom of it. But just to kind of, as a minister, to kind of give you like a, a way of working it out, Derek Prince in his book, They Shall Expel Demons, he says... He does this picture of like a piece of pipe with a ball bearing in it. And if you lift it up, the ball bearing rolls from one end of the pipe to the other and falls out. 
And what it's like is like if, it, if, if a demonic kind of thing is attached to a habit, when you, you, you raise the pipe, it just goes through to the end and you, there's no way to kind of stop it. You can't get your hand in there to stop the ball bearing. Okay, so people will say, like a friend of mine, he had a, um, I shared an office with a tech teacher once who was an alcoholic. He would say to me, uh, I, if I drink, I have to get drunk. I can't, I can't stop. I can't ever have one beer with my tea. If I have one, I've got to have 30. Okay, so that's that demonic kind of thing. But let's say you know, I'm a little bit overweight, which I am. Um, now, I know that that is not uh, a demonic thing. This is just me not applying myself. It, it's, it's in that earthly kind of thing. I need more discipline. Okay, now sometimes people want, they actually want it to be demonic because then they can say, I don't have to put in hard yards and actually apply myself. I can just say that it's something to go over here and you can pray for me. So no amount of prayer is going to help me with discipline. I mean, discipline, you know, prayer will sort of, you know, help me kind of apply myself. That's not quite right. But, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I'm the one who actually has to do that. I've got to put some things in practice and agree with God every step of the way. Does that make sense? So, so I kind of want to define that with you. Now, I just want to pray for everyone because when I talk about that kind of stuff, there are people that will get afraid that they will see a demon. And we shouldn't be that way. We should be fantastic. This is the Dean. We're about to see something miraculous happen. You know, this is the, the thing. Oh, one other thing is that, you know, we don't have to cast out every demon we see. When people come up in ministry, we, we work with that. But if you see one or you feel there's some connection to something over there and it's someone you don't have access to, you can just walk on by. We actually ask Holy Spirit what to do each, each place. Okay, and I know that's a whole kind of session on its own. It's like 100 hours, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just trying to touch and keep going. So, Father, I just speak to fear in the room, Father, and um, I just speak that you would just calm our hearts. Father, we need to be, you know, aware of these things, but, Father, we thank you that you hold us in the palm of our hands, that uh, divine appointments come our way, and that when someone comes into our sphere, you have already prepared us with the things that we need to minister to that person accurately. Father, I thank you that there is, there is no demonic presence. Father, there is no, even Satan himself, if he was standing here in front of us, he cannot touch us because we are yours. Father, there is, you know, Satan is just so inferior. He is so little and so weak and so insipid when compared to God. He has nothing to give us. You know, he is, he is a liar. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that he, he's like a roaring lion, but he doesn't have any teeth. He just has a big voice. And, Father, we choose not to be afraid. We choose not to be afraid, not because we're awesome, but because the Holy Spirit's presence and power is in us. Mm. Thank you, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Sorry, Hides. All right, and have you seen the um, crazy blow-up men? Uh, be a crazy blow-up man. Yeah, it's like, see this, see this, I've got this, this is for sale behind me. Yeah, all right, sit down. <laughs> oh, they're crazy-looking things, aren't they? They're so funny. Look at me, look at me. 
All right, I just want to um, share something. Tim was talking about healing and all the stuff, the reasons, yes, no, unbelief, sin, all that sort of stuff. So you would notice that I'm wearing a hat and I've worn a hat for both the days because I keep my head covered because I do not have very much hair at all. So when we had our third kid, my hair started to fall out and then when you get pregnant, your auto, um, like your immune systems blocks whatever's wrong, so then your hair grows again. Then you have the kid, your hair falls out and then you get pregnant again like I did six times. Hair, no hair, hair, no hair. So since... Um, that started, my hair hasn't really grown back, um, but it is super white and there's bits everywhere, but it ha- doesn't cover my whole head. And last night, I don't know whether you guys heard any screaming, but I, I went in the mirror and I pulled my hair out and I was like young Einstein. I said, Tim, look at me. And whether Tim went, ah! But no, he didn't. It was all good. But it's quite, it's a weird thing um, to have happen to you. But um, God's been, you know, keep teaching me because, again, I am a Titanic. And so I pushed through stuff. And I just said, I can do that. Yeah, let's do that. And gathered up six kids in my arms. And we went and organized this and that. So the leaning on God is something that he's been uh, teaching me and telling me to do more and more on a moment-to-moment basis in my day because they don't have any answers for autoimmune diseases and that's what uh, I attack myself with the hair. The hair follicles just attack each other and then they kill each other and it's like a war going on in my head. But so yeah, doctors don't have an answer, but God has an answer. So continue, like we talked about, there's people we're praying for that we haven't had the big answers for. We might have little steps, but God is the answer. So again, when we go and we say, you know, I give you everything, God, that foundation again has to be there. He loves me. The answer is good, and I'm just going to do this journey with him. So the other day, I do, like I read the Bible readings at the bottom of the Word for Today books, and I don't really read the devotion part. I just follow the Bible reading thing. And I'm, you know, I don't know, I think I might be back in 2019 still. It's not up to date. But how crazy is that when when you look at things, you go, that's for me for today. And you look at the date and you go, but that was six years ago that that was written. You know, it's crazy what God does. Anyway, so I did look up at the verse for the devotion and it says his hair started growing. That was the Bible verse. Stop. Where is that? Hang on a second. So does anyone know where that would have... Yes. So it's Samson. Yeah, that's right, in Judges. And I just thought, okay, in my spirit I felt God starting to tell me, now we've done the emotional side of it and that you, you like Titanic person, has started to work out to start to lean more on God and start to you know, trust him with things rather than thinking you can do everything. Because I am big and I am strong and I just think I can. So I've learned that part and now he says, Heidi, start speaking to your hair. It's time to start growing. So isn't that cool? Like the steps he takes us on and it's a very, very personal step. Someone else might have, you know, wanted me to start doing that. Like Tim with his healing thing has been trying to encourage me to do that. And it's a good thing to do. But when God says it, he says now and then now. And he has the right time for everything personally for us. No condemnation. So you guys just keep going. 
in your thing. So what I would love to see for you guys, if you know what your next step is, so we've been, you know, we're coming to the end, which is a bit sad, and I've really, really appreciated getting to know all you guys. If there is the next step that you're feeling God's wanting you to take, I want to say, make sure before we go that you are ready for that. You feel equipped, you've got the tools, you feel like you've had prayer, whatever it is, but go. What is the next step for you? And just make sure you get that, okay? And God's given you the picture for what, you know, he's got a desire in your heart for, come on, okay? Don't let it go by where you haven't felt like I'm now I'm ready to take that step, all right? Good, good, good. Okay, um, and also uh, what we wanted, you know, we've got a lot of stuff happening that's really good, but there are hard times, and I have said that, and that I say dig, just dig, and those hard times produce good times, and there's hard times all the time, but it's good to dig, and it's good to have that next step, and that next step, so I used to think, you know, Heidi and Roland Baker, heard of them and you know Heidi Baker was a part of multiplying food because a lady came to the door thinking she was doing a good thing for Heidi Baker and, and all her orphans there in the house rocked up with a bowl of food for like probably six people opened the door 60 kids and she goes ah now Heidi Baker didn't freak out she just went ah thank you that's really generous and kind of you put it on the table and what did she do gave thanks for the food and started scooping that food out scoop scoop and it multiplied and it fed all of those 60 kids so again that piece of this looks like it's not going to work but this looks like it's going to work because when you get something you add this to it one plus one equals a thousand. It's a little different, isn't that with God? It's awesome. So then I read that book and Roland Baker actually talked about the hard times and I was so grateful because I thought we love the miracles, we love these things we hear, but dig, dig, and he's had to dig and he's had to stand, but the result is food multiplying and the miracles that happen. You want that. Super exciting. Okay, so just keep going and make sure you've got what you need before we go. If you don't have it, then get on to the next lot of speakers and say, I need this, I want this, I need this for the next step in my life. Okay. Um, I want to just tell you about harmony. And can we use... um, Hosea's writing pad. Can you rip a piece of paper out for me that I can use? Cool. And Isaac, can you write a stave, a music stave, a nice big one with a big treble clef? I've got some musos down here and they're really good at it. And then write a chord on there for me so that everyone can see when I hold it up. Um, So I shared this and I've been sharing this with people. In the Bible, uh, in Romans 12, 16... It talks about harmony. And when we are working together with people, sometimes we see people do different things than us. 
Romans 12, 16. It says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourselves to people and things and give yourselves to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceits. So take the first part of that. It says live in harmony. And let's go over to Philippians 2, which in prayer time was read out this morning. I thought, oh, there's a lot of harmony in here. Live in harmony. Philippians 2.2. Fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and one purpose. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. Okay. Good job, Isaac. Perfect, perfect, perfect. You can hold it if you want. Okay. Isaac is a super musician. We love hearing him. All right. So this is a music stave. For those that are musical, you'll know this. This is a treble clef. And these are three notes. Okay. Harmony is made up of different notes. In the Bible, it tells us to live in harmony. Okay. So this is a, what is... Oh, is that got here an F, an A, and a C? Beautiful, perfect. This sounds lovely together. The Bible does not say live in unison, okay? Unison is exactly the same note. And when we try and be exactly the same as someone else, okay, so we're really trying to get you to have your special place with God in life, and everyone has that different place, okay? But... When we start to see others doing other things, we go, hey, that's awesome. Why can't I do that? Like, why aren't I over here doing this? And then it gets muddy, doesn't it? So if God said live in unison, the same note is really, really tricky to sound good because if you are off just a little bit with someone else that's singing or playing the same note, it clashes, okay? And when we use this note that's really close to this one note, I'm getting very technical here, we call it a passing note because we are not allowed to stay on it very long because it clashes. And it always has to, and they call this resolve. So it always has to then go to a harmonious note to sound good again. All right? So when I see this in the Bible over and over again, live in harmony, live in your special designated areas with God and it sounds beautiful get too close to someone else's area you're going to start to clash and if you clash because we will clash then move recognize that clash recognize the Holy Spirit's telling you you're feeling uncomfortable because I actually want you to move that's going to be a bit tricky isn't it because we talk about uncomfortable is okay but when it's the Holy Spirit saying tap 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 Come back to me, get back to that note that's your place with God and stop clashing with someone else. It's amazing how these, it's very, oh, music is awesome, isn't it, Isaac? It's got so many correlations to how we should live and I, I just can't believe that he says live in harmony. I mean, I can believe it because harmony is beautiful. If we take out this middle note, it changes the sound of the chord. So it cha changes it to like a rock chord, doesn't it? Like they're fifths 
A power chord, yeah. So they're quite a, you know, rock sort of sound. It's very, very different than having the third in there. All right, sorry, I'm talking musically now. First, third, fifth. Okay, so can you get that picture? And can you go, it's so important for me to know what the Holy Spirit has got for me to stay in harmony with everybody else and everyone has a place. I think we forget that sometimes. I think we think, here is it in a bit. And I have been up the front all my life, okay? And I have had friends, thank you, Tim. Give him a clap. I clap everyone. Yay! <laughs> it's so funny. Again, our church claps everyone. Wow! Uh, so, it is so important to know that, isn't it? So, is that picture good for you? I need to find my note. And when we watch other people doing their thing, then we need to go, that is awesome. But we need to stop the comparing. It, it's sort of like we have to be quick, quick on our thoughts, don't we? Just be just super aware of, uh, how am I reacting to that? All right, that's practice. So I'm going, go, you practice all this. This is awesome. Can I grab your iPad too, Isaac? Look at Isaac's iPad. Isaac, 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 Isaac. It's like, and there's such cool pictures, like a one-eyed monster, a shark with a, what? Anyway, it's so cool. But that is what we need to do. Heidi, Heidi, God, Heidi, God, Heidi. Sometimes we need to just keep it at it, don't we, and say, he has me, I have him, just let's get back to that. It's not about the next person. I love the next person and we can cheer them on for their position and their place in the harmony with everything. We can say, well done, that is so awesome. But once we start to feel that comparing or maybe jealousy or whatever, let's go. Let's actually deal with that super quick. Move on so we can keep loving people and keep working in that lovely harmony. Do you guys like hearing harmony when singing and stuff? I know Sally, your family, they used to sing in the car. We'd be driving along and they'd be, ah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just adds, doesn't it add to, like, when someone's singing harmony or playing harmony, you just go, oh, this is like heaven, yeah. So that, you are like heaven when you're doing your note and your place. So, yeah, being in these type of times to know where we are, what are we doing now, and what's the next step for me very individual we should always stay there at it being us and not about what the other person is doing all right let's look at john 4 35 okay this is after jesus has um met with the woman at the will and if you want to just read that story alone that's incredible and go slowly through it and just let the holy spirit tell you what is going on here amazing okay so when the disciples come back and um and jesus has just been at the with the woman at the well and says i don't need food anymore yet i was tired and i was hungry but i'm fine now because i've had my time with a woman and i am actually physically satisfied i have had lunch 
with this woman. Get that. And that's ministering to someone. That's because Jesus was ministering out of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in him was just building him up as he was ministering to this woman. That is phenomenal. So then at the end, the disciples are going, what are you on? We've gone to get food. And now you say, no, I don't want it. What has happened? So they are here, up here, aren't they? Okay, 35. Do you not say, it is still four months until the harvest time comes. Look, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields and see how they are already white for the harvesting. Um, I just thought of this yesterday as well. Raise your eyes. Okay, I um, look into a lot of uh, Dr. Michael Mosley's stuff because if you're interested in how science is lining up with the Bible, he is speaking about science with food and stuff and it's fasting. It's what the Bible says. I'll just go, oh, this is incredible. So he says about in the mornings about sleep, he says, raise your eyes. He said, if you want to get yourself going, get outside and look up. So it's actually the up looking that wakes you up and gets you going. And the light, the sun outside actually starts to get your whole system working. And so in here, when, when Jesus says, raise your eyes, he says, look up. And let's get things going. And I thought, oh, nature, Bible, is the same. Okay. 36. Already the reaper is getting his wages. He who does the cutting now has his reward. For he is gathering fruit and crop unto eternal life. So that he who does the planting and he who does the reaping may rejoice together two different things he who does the planting and he who does the reaping may rejoice together so it's like that harmony thing sometimes you just keep giving in to people and giving in to people and then sometimes someone else is going to reap in that person's life later on they're the ones that are going to bring them to God because you have done sowing back here you need to be satisfied where you are to know that God has got you doing right now what he needs you to do in a big family in his kingdom so when the the sowing happens and the reaping happens which brings someone to God each person needs to remember that yay, I'm cheering because someone else is going to do the reaping here. Or when you're the reaping, bringing someone to Christ, yay, thank you God that someone is sowing into this person's life earlier on. It is a team effort and it is all just as important. So 37, for in this the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. And I sent you to reap a crop for which you have not toiled. Other men have laboured and you have stepped in to reap the results of their work. Never think one is more important than the other. God will place you exactly where you need to be if you keep just focusing on him and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and we are in a team together. Thank you for the times that you have sowed into people. Thank you for the times that you have repped. That you bring people to the Lord. And thank you for the times when you have simply just sat next to people and cared for them. And thank you for just smiling at someone because it is all a part of this whole body and his kingdom of doing things. Never forget 
that these little things are as important as what we see the big things. I wish we could cut that down. Yeah. When um, Tim was saying focus on trees, Christians uh, focus on trees and trying to stop your head, uh, Christian just went like this. Chop that head off. So can we get rid of the layers that we think? Can we just see the importance of doing what God wants us to do and be in beautiful harmony with each other and love watching what other, one, other people are doing and just going, just being there, smile, wave. Air Peninsula's got the big thing of everyone waves to each other. You know, in the cars, I have no idea who you are, but yeah, I'll see you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just start it. Just get it going here in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. Wave, 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 wave like this. Oh, I'm exhausted. I've just been down the road like one kilometre. <laughs> and then there's a car crash behind you going, what was that person doing? Anyway, uh, don't do that. So do you have a clear knowledge of where you are at and whether you need to be grounded in something that for your next step like do you feel like you are just sowing into people do you feel like you're a person that smiles to people and that's okay and do you feel like you're a reaper that just loves to tell people about God so if you can just get that and get solid in that just say yeah that's me and that's what God's given me and that's my gifting. And that's really good. And keep on that. Isaac, 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 Isaac. Heidi, 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 God, 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 Heidi, Heidi, Heidi. Not, hey, what is he doing? What are they doing? Oh, I wish I was like that. All right. Let's pray. If you have that, if you don't, I would uh, encourage you to ask God. So what is my next step, God, and what, what do you want to take me into and what is a gift that I actually have that I need to really cement in myself that is super important, you find important and you love? Um, our son Bailey, the eldest, um, Matty Forrest, said to him at church this Sunday, Bailey, you just light up the room. Like he's just, ah, he's, you know happy all the time, jumping around, yeah, high five. And, you know, that is just a gift that he has and it just bubbles over. So he doesn't have to work at that. And we need to, like, see those people and say, that smile was awesome. And just, you know, just being at the door and welcoming people, imagining welcoming everyone in to the family of God and they just long to be can't wait to go through that door because I'm just going to feel, oh, I'm at home. That's so cool. It's a taste of heaven, isn't it, here on earth? So if you've got something written down, I want you to put your hand on it that you've actually, think, this is me, and I really want to be confident that this is my gift that God's given me, and I want to be super, super foundational in knowing that this is important, and I want to thrive in it. Or if it's your next step, I'm going to step out in that and I know that's important for me. Okay. 
Holy Spirit, you're super excited about the next steps that we're going to take and you're super excited about revealing in us what it is that you've placed in us that if we might think it's small, it is not small. It is a gift you are going to use and you are going to multiply and you are going to shed your love through us and onto other people through these gifts. And so right now I speak a confidence in each person here in knowing how they can love, how they can be to just shine you into other people's lives and how fulfilled they'll feel when they go, yes, that's me and I'm loved. I can smile, I can wave and I can just be me with you, Father. I can welcome people in that door. I can love those kids. I can go to those teenagers and just hang out. Let's break down those thoughts of one thing's bigger than the other and let's do your love. Strengthen this in each person in Jesus' name today. Strengthen it, strengthen it and make it just a foundation that they are just going to go and live out of. So easy when it's you. So easy when you're just giving it to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. One thing. Uh, so that's not about what we just uh, did. It's about the next session because we've got one more, haven't we? Yeah. So next session, we're, we're going to spend that time praying. So I just sort of thought I'd whet your appetite over lunch that if you would like to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you. And uh, you may think, oh, you know, I'd just like to do it on my own kind of thing. That's awesome too. But think of the benefit that coming forward and getting prayed for by all of us will be. And remember that we've been talking about keeping your information private. So if you have a thing when we ask you about it, you can just say, just, just a headline. That's all we need. You, know, don't, you don't have to tell us the whole thing, you know, particularly if it's a, it's a private matter. But we're going to spend that time just sort of knocking it off okay, and working through it. So if, we can, if you can prepare yourself, if you'd like to be prayed for, we'd like to pray for you so we can sort of keep that moving.